Morning, Gospel Life Church. Morning. Um, today, I will be reading from Colossians 3, uh, starting at verse number 18, ending at um, chapter 4, verse number 1. Again, that's Colossians 3, uh, verse number 18, and ending at uh, chapter 4, verse number 1. It reads, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day where we can come together and, and feast upon your word. We ask, God, that you would um, touch our hearts and uh, soften our hearts, that we would have a heart that that longs to please you. And uh, we ask that we will seek, that we will have joyful obedience, that we will seek joyful obedience from you, Father, that we may love to um, hear your word, but also be doers of your word. Uh, We ask today that you will use Brian as he uh, preaches your word. We thank you for him, Lord. We thank you for um, this day, and we just ask that you would bless it in. We pray all these things in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Cavante, for reading our text today. We appreciate that. We're going to be continuing our study here in the book of Colossians. Uh, we kind of uh, done in this little mini-series here in this section of the text. So um, as we've been working through, we spent uh, one week dealing with the uh, first two aspects of household rules here with the wives and the husband, and the second week on the children and uh, parents, and specifically fathers. And so uh, this week we're kind of closing out this little mini-series on, minister, mini-series on household rules with uh, bond servants and masters. And is all part of our series uh, for this year from Colossians entitled A Call to Live All of Life in Thankfulness to God. And again, Paul is reminding the Colossian believers uh, there in in Colossae that uh, God has done this great work in them and bringing them to faith in Him and drawing them to Himself. He has established them as a church And now uh, they are to remember what he has done and seek to live lives as this new people of God, this new creation of God. And uh, so he reminds them of all that God has done for them and then displays to them this life that they're called to live. And so we've been working through these household rules here based upon uh, God's guidance, that God has shown them grace, so the household rules and and how wives and husbands interact, children and parents interact, bond servants and masters, now as we'll see, interact 
are, are, are not what we, we make our salvation dependent upon. Um, being obedient in these areas doesn't save us, so we need to be reminded of that. And the Colossian believers here, you know, Paul starts off by affirming that he's heard of their faith and how that faith has then produced love. And so faith, faith is what saves us, but in turn, faith does not come into our lives alone, but brings the good works of God. We are saved by grace through faith, but we are saved uh, to be made new creations of Jesus Christ for good works. And so uh, he is not surprised by the working out of their faith in their lives and has encouraged them to continue to do so in everything. In fact, that's what verse 17 says of this chapter. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And so we're to live all of life for God, expressing thankfulness to God for all that He has done for us, for enabling us to live this new life that He has called us to. And I said this last week, and I, I met with uh, someone during the week, and he said it stuck with him, so I thought I'd share it again. Like these, these household rules, and, and even throughout Colossians, as we've seen, that God has done this work, and then He calls us to live a certain way. The, the calling to live a certain way, they're not burdens to us. They're not meant to be seen as, oh man, now I have to live this way. and um, We kind of get down about, oh, i got to live like this. I can't just do whatever I want. R- realize that that's not meant to be a burden to you. It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to be good. Because often what you want to do, <laughs> that when, we, when we cast those two against each other, well, God says to do this, but I really want to do this. What you want to do is often not good for you. It's often not for your good, for your best. It is often you going back to that domain of darkness that you once were in, serving your old masters and putting on their clothes, putting on their uniform, playing for their team again. Christians are not called to play for the domain of darkness. We're called to play for the kingdom of the sun. We're called to be a part of of His kingdom, serving His kingdom, doing His delight. And in turn, that is going to bring us true delight because we were made for a purpose we were made to know god and by knowing him being able to then glorify him and enjoy him that's what we're made for but because of sin we were unable to live out that purpose because of sin we were living under other masters who are not seeking to accomplish that purpose at all whose ultimate end is that that this this old domain of darkness is going to be taken and cast into a lake of fire for eternity because of its rebellion against God. And that's who we were a part of. With no true purpose, no ability to live out our true purpose, and ultimate destruction as our end. And yet God, we read through here in Colossians, transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. He puts us in His family he puts us in his kingdom and and, and we're told there in verse 13 in whom we have redemption the son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins that were transferred through the work of jesus christ on the cross not anything that we can do and we come to this section and basically saying now that you are in this new kingdom and you have this glorious new life this is what my kingdom looks like and that's not burdensome that is blessing so these, these rules here really are 
blessed, meant to be blessings to us to help us understand how God's people in God's kingdom live to please God. How we can glorify Him and enjoy Him. And so hopefully you, you come to this part of the text with that in mind and seeking to live out verse 17, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, representing Jesus Christ with thanksgiving, satisfied with the opportunity and ability to do that very thing, to live for Him. Now here in chapter 3, verses 18 through 4-1, Paul is reminding the Corinthians, or the, not the Corinthians, the Colossians uh, believers that God has provided these guidelines for relationships that would please Him. And in turn, as we please Him, would please us. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who ultimately rules over all of these relationships. And we're talking about uh, rules of relationships, and within them there are authority structures. But ultimately, everyone in this section is living this way under the authority of Jesus Christ. Everyone, the wives, the husbands, the children, the parents, the fathers, bonds, servants, the masters, all are living under the authority of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who rules. And in fact, we see that kind of indicated and highlighted throughout, but most significantly we see it in this last section that we're going to look at. And this last section is, is somewhat interesting compared to the other sections as it is much longer. Like in the other sections, there's basically a statement um, about how they should live. And, uh, you know, wives, here's what you should do. Submit to your husbands. Husbands, you should love your wives. Don't be harsh. Children, you should obey your parents and everything. Fathers, don't provoke the children. And then we get to bond servants, and we have multiple lines of instruction and encouragement in it. And within that, there's this huge emphasis on the fact that both the bond servant and the master live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Both are standing under that structure. And, and the authority structure that exists within humanity in light of this is minuscule compared to the authority structure that exists. So much so that we could say, according to this text, specifically in verse 25 when it talks about the wrongdoer being paid back and that there is no partiality, in that sense, everyone is standing on this flat surface underneath the authority of God. Called to different things. Called to different roles. Called to living out their obedience in different ways. But all of us stand at the same level in relationship to Jesus Christ. Now these bond servants and these masters, again, we're meant to... It's difficult probably within our context. We don't live in a context like this. But this, again, these are household rules. We're meant to understand these relationships as, as being a part of the home. And so the servant-master thing was a part of the home. So we're not necessarily talking about other employment outside of the home, but specifically uh, directed towards the home. And so in this domestic servanthood relationship that's going on here, there's a way in which 
people were meant to live. Now, I think there are some applications that we could make that, are, that go beyond that within these texts. Some, some, general, some general rules uh, that, that God has encouraged in His Scripture and that govern all aspects of our lives. I mean, we should always live for God, not for man, right? Yeah, in everything that we do. And He's going to encourage that within this relationship, but it goes beyond that. So there's many things that we can apply to other things, but it's very specific to this so that we can say, to this household, so that we can say living as new people starts at home. It starts in the home. So the main point today is this. You are to live in thankfulness to God for giving you guidelines to live for Christ in your relationships, in your closest, most intimate of relationships. You have been given guidelines for how to live for Christ, and we need to live those out. So just as a reminder, I read this the last two weeks, so I'll read it one more time just to get uh, kind of a background here in regards to uh, what life was like in the Roman Empire. This comes from Ligonier Ministries. Uh, it says, in the first century Roman Empire, pe- people were anything but equal. Male property-owning citizens ranked highest in the social order, having rights not extended to their wives, children, or slaves. The male head of household determined whether or not infants born to the family would live or be left to die of exposure. Slaves were regarded as machines subject wholly to the will of the master of the house. Wives did not fare much better, and while it was not uncommon to find a first-century Roman husband who loved his wife, such love was not expected or demanded. And considering these realities, it is easier to see how revolutionary the Christian message was in that society. In his application of what it means to live as new humanity in Christ, to exist social and familial relationships, The Apostle Paul addresses wives, children, and slaves directly, assuming that they are equally important to the church. So we see, we see that uh, that while we may may think maybe maybe these are just cultural things, they're not. These actually went against the culture of the day, and in many ways, they go against the culture of our day as well. And again, it shouldn't be a surprise to us as Christians. Because part of the domain of darkness is not just our own sinful desires, which in many ways this goes against our own sensibilities, our own wants, our own sinful desires, but also within that sphere of the domain of darkness is the world system. And the fact is, whether it's the world system of Rome or of the United States of America, it is in a system other than the kingdom of the sun. So, and within that system, God's rules, God's way of living tends to go uh, against that. It tends to rub against that and be revolutionary compared to the society in which we live. And in turn, uh, we could also talk about the fact that Satan, prince of the power of the air, seeking to rule over the world and seeking to orchestrate the world in a certain way that was, is against God, and God's plan, we know all of them will be ultimately defeated. We can have that confidence, that faith, that ultimately be defeated. They're not parallel with God in the sense of their power and authority, yet they exist. Yet we have to wrestle with them in this world. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that both in Rome, the call to live life 
doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was revolutionary. And it shouldn't be surprising to us in the United States of America that the call to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is revolutionary as well. It's not necessarily going to be the most popular way to live. So I have two questions that I'm going to be asking, and then the third point is going to be connecting to everyday life. So these are the same questions I asked the last two weeks. So why does God give Christian relational guidelines? So why does God give Christians relationship guidelines? And then what are God's relationship guidelines? And so uh, that first one, what or why does God give Christians relationship guidelines? I have three answers to that. And so each week I've tried to, to kind of and kind of pull those apart in different ways as they apply to the different aspects of, the, uh, of uh, these household rules that we're looking at. And so today we're going to look at the three answers again and talk to them specifically about bond servants and masters. So the first one is God gives relationship guidelines to his people so that you might understand his authority. Uh, so we need to realize that all of these are given to us so that we might understand his authority. And again, when we look at Wives and husbands were meant to understand his authority in a certain way, in a specific way. Um, specifically, Paul points us in Ephesians 5 to how Christ is the head of the church. That's this relationship existing in the world is meant to help us understand what Christ's authority over the church looks like. And not just authority, also his love and care and everything. How that all looks together. When we think of parents and children, we're again reminded of the fact that we serve God who is now, if we are Christians, he is now our father, and we're able to come to him as our father. We are his children, and so that is a great blessing. And so this, this relationship that exists in the world between parents and children is meant to help reflect, paint a picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with God. And the same thing's true of bond servants and masters. That, that this relationship exists because of his desire to demonstrate his authority. Slavery teaches us the absoluteness of God's authority over us. See, at the time, slaves did not have any rights. They, they, they did not have the ability to make certain decisions that, that we have the ability to make now. They were under their master, and their master would make a lot of these decisions for them. Uh, their master was the one who, who told them how to live and what to do. And, so, and, and in fact, as we read here in the text with Paul, we see a similar statement as to children. Children, obey your parents in everything. And then notice, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Like this idea, again, of obedience in everything. An absoluteness to an, an expectation to it. And we'll, we'll get to, to more of what the text is saying right there in just a minute. But we have to realize that it, it exists in this world so that it might paint a picture of what it looks like for us to be under God's authority. That God is the owner of all things. That as creator, he owns every person. They are his. And then, Christians, we are doubly his. He has bought us with a price. 
that when Paul writes in Corinth, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. What is he saying? We, he owns us. Not just in creation, but in salvation. And he owns us by purchasing us with the blood of his own son. And not just a son or daughter like one of us. No, this is, this is the son of God. This is the second person of the Trinity who existed for an eternity in relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And this is the one whom God sends and sacrifices so that we might be His. So rightly, Christianity throughout its existence has spoken of Christians as being doubly God's. We are owned by Him as Creator. And now we are owned by Him as our Savior and Lord. He is ours. And so this helps us to understand His authority. Second thing, God gives relationship guidelines to His people so that you might live orderly lives that please Him. So that you might live orderly lives that please Him. Some have asked, what about slavery? You know, or why doesn't Paul call for the abolition of slavery here? And I, and I like the answer that this commentator gives. Even if Paul does not call directly for slavery's end, that does not mean he thinks it represents the ideal design for human relationships. He is applying the gospel to a society in which slavery is a given, not working to transform immediately every element of the culture. So when we think about living orderly lives, we're meant to live orderly lives within the society we are in. And so, so Paul's concern is not to radically change the society in which they live, but to see a radical change lived out in the people God has worked in. That the gospel can transform how we approach whatever element of society we live within. In fact, though, we go to the companion letter here to Colossians, which is Philemon. And it was a letter sent by Paul calling for Philemon to both accept Onesimus' forgiveness. Onesimus was a slave to Philemon, but ultimately to appealing for his release from bondage. And so we, we, we see that there. And yet we understand that, that God works through things, through time. This progressive revelation exists. God works within the fact that we are fallen humanity. In fact, we can see a, a number of other examples. You know, again, just because God can represent his authority through something like slavery that is, I would agree is not the ideal design for human relationship doesn't mean it's, it's giving his tacit approval of it. It's just the same as divorce. Divorce, what do we read? God hates divorce. And yet, what do we also see? God says because of the hardness of the hearts of men. He allows for divorce as a means of caring for people. In fact, during Roman society, there was, there was, there was not the kind of job market that we have today. And so a slave that, that was freed, if he, if he did not have any connections or his master didn't help him with connections, often had no means of providing for himself or his family or anyone else. Um, so, so for Christians to all of a sudden just release all their slaves could have been, had a devastating effect on those slaves. So it was a difficult position when Rome is so much based upon 
the slavery system. Um, another example, though, of it would be polygamy. So in the Old Testament, you see uh, polygamy happening. You see, like, David has more than one wife, and Solomon had more than one wife. But, and, and you don't necessarily find God condemning it, like, like I feel like you should, you know? <laughs> and and I, I think there's enough in Scripture that would both declare polygamy not to be ideal, divorce not to be ideal, uh, slavery not to be ideal. There's many of places we can appeal to uh, the fact that these are not ideal and even should not take place. And, and the fact is, within our country, within England, within other countries that have abolished things like slavery, Christianity was the driving force to see that happen. But polygamy throughout the Old Testament, it never ends well. And ultimately, it goes back to Genesis, where a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular, and that man has distorted it. And God still works progressively through time, revealing His truth and dealing with men who are sinful. Long-suffering, patience of God in dealing with humanity. And yet there are ways within our sinful society, within our worldly society, in which Christians are called to live. We can't always radically change our society but we can live like Christians within any society we are in. In fact, you look at the, 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 the text through the text of Scripture, specifically the New Testament, you look at Paul's writing in regards to government. Now, you know, we can talk all, all we want about politics, but in the day in which Paul lived, Nero was emperor. And if you, do, if you know any history at all, Nero wasn't that great of a guy. All right? He wouldn't have probably attended church with you. They wouldn't have had him teaching Sunday school. All right, he just was not a nice guy. And yet, what does Paul say? Honor the king, pray for those who are over you, live quiet and peaceful lives among, among your society. I mean, that's what Paul calls for. He's calling for us to live as Christians where God has placed us. And so we are able then to live orderly lives that please him uh, in light of what, whatever situation God has placed us in. The third one, God does not give relationship guidelines to His people to determine worth or dignity. And here, really, Christianity, uh, above all the other answers, I would say, when, when, when society looks at us, here is where we diverge from them the most. Um, whether it be in Rome or in America, when we're talking about slavery in Rome or slavery in America, here's where we diverge from society the most. Where Paul addresses slaves here. He addresses them specifically. He puts them on the same level as everyone else he's addressing. He addresses them as ones uh, who have worth and dignity, affirming their worth, affirming their dignity. And the Bible consistently affirms this of all Humanity, And in fact, we could just go back to verse 11 of this chapter. What does he say? There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And what we said about that text was this. We said that's not denying the distinctions. That text is not, is not meant to say slaves are no longer to be slaves. And any more than it's saying free people should no longer be free. It is saying that within the church in Colossae, there existed both slaves and 
free people. And yet, it did not stop them from worshiping the one God, Jesus Christ. They were united together by something that was greater than the fact that they were slaves or free. That they could stand together. They probably didn't have pews. I was going to say, by their pews, you know? Stand together, whatever seats they had. They could stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ and sing worship to God and not think, well, I'm a free person, so I'm better than the slave. No. They are all sinners saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Christ is all that matters. And so, all the way back in verse 11, Paul is already saying, we all have worth and dignity. And it's demonstrated the same worth and dignity. Obviously, we could say it's demonstrated in the fact that we're all created in the image of God, slave or free, all created in the image of God. But more than that, we are all people who God sent His Son to purchase us. It didn't matter whether you were a slave or free. Both of you were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Both of you had to be saved in the same exact way. Which means, which means that in God's eyes, whether you were Greek or Jew, whether you were circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you were a barbarian or Scythian, whether you were slave or free, you saw all stood on the same level as sinners needing the grace of God. And so then when Paul comes down here to address them, he addresses them not as someone beneath someone else, but rather as someone with the same dignity and worth as those who have authority over them. Same is true with wives. Same is true with husbands. Same is true with children, with parents, with fathers. He's addressing them all directly to demonstrate that they all have the same worth and dignity. So, Authority structures do not determine our worth and dignity. And as much as we Christians apply this to to things like a baby in the womb, rightly apply it, so we also should apply it to things like slavery. And now we think, I don't have to apply it to slavery because we don't have slavery here. But the fact is, slavery has not been eradicated from the world in which we live in. It may have been here. But in other places, it does exist. And so, um, it's important that we understand that no matter who a person is, no matter what, what role they are being called to fulfill within society, they all have the same worth and dignity. So then, question number two, what are God's relationship guidelines? So we looked at husbands. Our wives, submit to your husbands. We looked at husbands, love your wives without bitterness. We looked at children, obey your parents. And now we get to bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Now the word translated bondservant just means slave. It's doulos. There's no special meaning here. So some have tried to to see some special meaning because they see that word bondservant, maybe it means something different than slave, but it's actually just the same word that we would use to translate slave anywhere else in Scripture. So there's no special meaning. Again, it's the longest section 
here uh, that we're dealing with. And I think that's possibly uh, one because of the connection that it has to the letter of Philemon and to the issue with Onesimus. So Paul is trying to make a clear point here in regard to uh, slaves and their worth and dignity and who they're meant to serve and in turn give guidelines to masters as well. Um, It's a part of this list because these slaves were often attached to the household, and uh, so uh, we need to be aware of their household connections. So there's going to be some strong relationship bonds here. So when we think about these slaves and masters, there's going to be some strong relationship bonds bonds that probably existed within the home. At the same time, we understand that when there are strong relationship bonds, that those can sometimes be very positive, and they sometimes can be very negative, all right? Are there days when you think, I don't know if I can take my kids anymore, (laughs) or my husband, whatever, or my, you know, your spouse, you know? Like, those strong feelings exist, so, so Paul is speaking into those kind of strong feelings, Now, when he talks to them, he says they are to obey in everything. And again, we have to be reminded of what we said in regards to children obeying their parents in everything, that there is an absoluteness to this obedience, like that that there is an expectation that slaves would then do whatever it is their masters called them to do. And yet, we understand from Scripture that it cannot go against any clear commands of God. That, that if a master were to call a slave to go against um, God's commands and live in sin, that that slave had a responsibility and a right to say no. And we ultimately see this in this text uh, highlighted even stronger than what we see with the children. So with the children, we, we saw that, that it was based upon the idea that, that they were o- obeying to please the Lord, Right? Obey in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And to, to obey by sinning, lying or cheating or stealing or whatever, even if your parents commanded you to, would not be pleasing to the Lord, and therefore they had every right to say no to that. Now, I did put this caveat, kids, that you need to make sure that God actually said you're not supposed to do something. <laughs> if you're going to tell your parents no, you got to make sure. And on, on this grounds, you got to make sure that you have the grounds. The same thing is true of servants. Notice how, notice how it's written here. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. It's interesting. He throws in this word earthly. He's seeking to set up a dichotomy here between those who are human and masters and the one who is divine and heavenly and is their master. Because notice what he goes on to say. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You're obeying not ultimately because of your master's you know, demands to obey him, not because even of your fear of your master, but rather fearing the Lord, desiring to be obedient to him. But he doesn't even stop there. Notice verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Who is your ultimate master? It's the Lord, not men, who are your ultimate master. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
This is the one who is truly your heavenly master. Setting up this dichotomy between these earthly masters. Ultimately, you serve God. So whatever God says is ultimately what you should do. Now, God says to obey your masters and everything. But that doesn't mean going outside of God's commandments and living in sin just because your master said. It could not be the case. Not only is it expected obedience, not only is it the doing the will of another, but it's from the heart. Paul goes further than just saying obey. What does he say? Not as in a way of eye service, but sincerely of the heart. It's sincere, diligent obedience. The object is not ultimately to please their master, not ultimately to get in a good standing with their master, not ultimately um, to... um, to kind of manipulate their master in any way, but rather they are meant to serve from the heart because they're Christians. Like, what's so radical about this section? (laughs) Is that this is how Christians live. This is what a Christian looks like when they live in these kind of relationships. So a Christian slave was meant to serve not just the earthly master, but the heavenly master and live for him. He goes on to say it, it's from a fear of the Lord. It is Christian obedience. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's where we start. It is for the Lord. It is not for men. It is from a trust in the true heavenly master, not a trust in your earthly master. And, and in so doing, in trusting your heavenly master, here's what God promises a reward. An inheritance. I, I think this is so significant in this, in this text that Paul would go here. Why? Because, because when he talks about the family unit they exist in, they're not a child, they're a slave. And being a child means you would have a part in the inheritance. But being a slave means you have no part in that inheritance. But when he begins to talk about them in light of their position with God, in God's family, Even though they are a slave on earth, they are a child and heir in heaven. They are promised an inheritance just as much as any other Christian. So they are not slaves in God's families, but sons and daughters. And if sons and daughters, they are heirs of the promise. And so he's able to write, you will, knowing that from God you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Now, I don't think this text is speaking about their rewards for living obediently. I think this text is speaking about their reward for being a Christian. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. The inheritance of eternal life. The inheritance of of eternity in heaven with their God. The, the, The freedom from all these sinful issues that exist in our world. That, that they have been promised that. And therefore, because of that, they are meant to live out their thankfulness to God in everything they do. That in essence, Paul is taking what he said in verse 17 and, and like really making it specific to these, those who are slaves here in this passage. He goes on to say in verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
You know, in God's eyes, the slave is not viewed as anything less to God. And the fact that, uh, that he appeals to this idea of God's impartiality is meant to help us understand that the wrongdoer here is not just applied to the slave as if the slave was living in disobedience and therefore God is going to punish, but also is meant to be applied to the master as well. That any wrongdoing done on the master's part will be directly dealt with by God so that both stand on the same level ground before God. It also encourages us to reaffirm the point that we've made. That ultimately the point uh, that we've made in, under the other ones is that your, your obedience doesn't depend on the other person's obedience. So wives, your submission doesn't depend on your husband's love and not being harsh. Husbands, your love and not being harsh does not depend on your wife's submission. Children, your obedience does not depend on your parents, specifically your father's not provoking you. Fathers, your not provoking is not dependent upon your children's obedience. Slaves, their obedience is not dependent on their masters, as we're going to see in a minute, treating them justly and fairly. And masters, your treating your servants justly and fairly is not dependent upon their obedience. Why it ultimately comes to this text the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and for there is no partiality. God is saying, you obey, and I will take care of the one who doesn't. Again, all of us, every person in this structure is under the authority of God. And those who live outside of God's commands, God will take care of. We are meant to live the life He has called us to live. This is the way of blessing. This is the way of hope. This is the way of joy. This is the way of glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. Is not bringing up all the excuses for why we can't obey God, but saying God is sovereign. God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful. He says that He has enabled me to do this, and so I'm going to believe Him and just do it. And so we can, even in a society that does not have these functions of slavery and masters, we still see principles here that we can apply to life. But not only does he address the bondservant, the slave here, but he addressed the masters. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Verse 1 of chapter 4, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Here he starts with just and fair. Treat them appropriately as human beings and Christians. Again, he's, he's addressing Christian slaves. And those Christian slaves may have Christian masters. They may not have Christian masters. But he has a way in which they as Christians are called to live. Now as he addresses masters, he's addressing Christian masters. And they may both have slaves that are Christian and non-Christian. And no matter who they are, they are meant to be dealt with as human beings, justly and fairly, as, as having worth and dignity. And if Christians, addressing them as Christians, as brothers and sisters. Basically, he's saying, give what is due to them in accordance with the laws that govern them, but even more so beyond mere human laws in accordance with divine laws. 
Do not defraud them in any way. Earthly masters are, are, are not left to function under their own set of standards of what they deem is right, but rather they must function under what is clearly just and fair in God's eyes. And it shouldn't be surprising to us that as as Christians sought to live this out within a society that was that had that that had this foundation of slavery, you found that that idea of slavery as a machine to uh, to stabilize a country and eroded and and ultimately was abolished um, because God calls masters to treat them justly and fairly and ultimately seeing seeing them as human beings created in the image of God with the same worth and dignity as we have led led Christianity to be the primary influencer for the uh, abolishment of slavery. But notice that the reason why we say it's, it, they can't live under their own, own understanding of their standards of what is just and fair or even what their laws govern them as to what is just and fair because in Rome, um, Roman law would say it was just and fair to dispose of your slave however you saw fit. Well, that does not exist in God's economy Ultimately, we see that by him saying, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. That it's under God that they are called to this role of authority. That Christian masters themselves served a master and they would answer for how, uh, how they dealt with the most, the, even the most menial of slaves. Because, because the role of the slave, you know, the one farthest down the, the ladder. Maybe we can talk about the slave who had to wash people's feet when you're walking on roads where people are throwing uh, their excrement out into the road, and that's how they got it out of their house. So, I mean, there's just disgustingness all along the street, and that is sticking to your feet that mostly, you know, were in sandals. And so you would come into a house, and you wouldn't want to track that in, right? I mean, you know, growing up, my mom was concerned about tracking in mud, you know. There's a lot more than mud going on there. And so the most menial of slave would have to wash people's feet, right? But does that change his worth and dignity as a human being created by God? Not one bit. So that, so that a master would have to answer, an earthly master will have to answer to the heavenly master for how they treated even the most menial. Of slaves, knowing that you also have a master in heaven, I think part of that is that you have to answer to. He's your master. He's your authority, so you have to answer to him. But there's another reason why Paul says this as well. Not only to remind yourself that you have to answer to him, but the fact that you reflect him. Christian masters in a Roman society that was built on slavery were meant to reflect their heavenly master. What do we read about? What did their heavenly master do while he was on earth? He washed his disciples' feet. Even masters of slaves in that society, Christian masters, 
were called to serve the ones over whom they had authority. And that kind of service would radically revolutionize that society. So how do we connect this to everyday life? First, do you desire to live out God's relationship guidelines? Again, if you're an unbeliever here and you say, yes, I would love to live these out, realize that you can only truly live these out as a Christian. These are written to Christians. And so you, you might be able in some ways to try and reflect this in, in, in your life as an unbeliever, but truly the only way to truly reflect this and the only way to live them out in light of verse 17 that we're doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to turn from your sins and put your trust in Him. To trust that He on the cross paid for those sins. That He on the cross forgave those sins. And that you, in turning and trusting in Him, you turn away from your old life, from your old authorities, and you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord. Believer, if you're saying, yes, I desire to live out God's relationship guidelines, then do what we're told in verse 15 and 16 of this chapter. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and begin to put on these guidelines in your life. Put them on. Begin to live them out in uh, the life that you, uh, God has called you to. Realize that, you know, again, we don't live in a society with, with slaves and, and masters, and so there may be a struggle at first to say, well, how do I, how do I put these on? Which leads to the second question, how can you live in obedience to God and your relationships in light of this? Well, realize that there, there are some general truths here that need to help us in, in every area of our life. That whatever we do, we're to do for the Lord, which he describes now here unto the slaves as working heartily as for the Lord and not men. So why do you work hard in whatever you do? What are you giving your heart to heartily? Is it for the Lord? Or is it for men? That's a general rule that even supersedes this concept of slavery and masters. Are you doing it because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord? Have you forgotten that your, your salvation has completely transformed your entire life? And that the view of your life to its end and now beyond into eternity has, has, has so altered, so changed, that it radically affects every other aspect of your life. Every, every step you take is meant to be taken in light of the fact that you have an inheritance that will not fade away, that is laid up in heaven for you, and you are moving towards that end. Because we can get distracted, right? We can get distracted by other things in this world. We can get distracted by serving men, and that includes our own selves, right? We're human beings. We're to live for the Lord, not for men, not even for our own desires. We're not meant to follow our own heart, no matter how many Disney movies you've watched. All right? You're to live for God. And you're not a slave. You're not a slave right now in your life. The difficulties that these slaves had to face, you don't have to face. You have greater amount of freedom. So 
you should more so be doing all that you do heartily for the Lord and not for men. You know, in many cases, you know, they wouldn't be able to choose where they lived, how they lived, what they ate, what they would do the next day. You know, they didn't have the option to, you know, decide one day I don't like my job and so I'm going to quit and go find a new one. They don't have those options. We do. So we all the more should be able to do what we do heartily for the Lord. That's what I'm seeking to say. So I would challenge you, study Scripture on maybe what it, what it means to be a slave. Not ultimately so that you live as a slave to some person here on earth, but recognize that you are, you are slaves to the Master. Now, Paul didn't write that at the beginning of Colossians, but a lot of his other letters, he writes that. Paul, a slave of Christ. That's who we are. That's how we're meant to understand ourselves. So just like if your wife study on submission, if your husband study on love, if your children study on obedience, as, as slaves of a heavenly master, Study obedience. Study what it looks slavery looks like in Scripture. Understand how we are meant to live. And then lastly, how can you express thankfulness for God-given relationship guidelines? How are you going to express your thankfulness for these? Maybe part of it will be thankful for the, the physical freedom that you have to pursue Christ and the calling He's given to your life freedom to attend church, to be involved in Christian community. It was beyond that, though, as his slaves able to live life for him, because of him, in light of him, to bring him glory. I hope that this is a challenge to your heart and that you will express thankfulness to God for these relationship guidelines. Not just the ones we presented today, but hopefully you've watched all of the series and and you'll be encouraged by each of the ways God has called you to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these truths. Thank you for the opportunity and challenge they are to us. And I pray that you would uh, now bless our, our, our time as we, as we sing in closing, as, as uh, we go away uh, from here to uh, the different aspects of our lives, that we would truly live in light of you, um, that we would... Do everything representing you in your name. Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity you have given to us to both be, be part of the church, your bride, to be part of your family, your children, to be part of your kingdom, your slaves. In Jesus' name, amen.